Hello and welcome back to Stop and Go F1 for this, the Saturday morning news video. Somehow, after nearly 24 hours of F1 testing this week, somehow there is still more to talk about. So, of course, uh, we did do coverage on all the testing, so there's roundup videos for every single day. So if you miss them or you want to know what happened in the testing, that's all there. Tomorrow morning, my predictions video will be out. I'll predict where I think each driver will finish in the Formula 1 Championship. Might do a little bit of F2, F3, Formula 1 Academy in there as well. So that'll be out tomorrow. But this is the news video. So make sure you like and subscribe, of course. That is the rules. You have to do that. But uh, what have we got to talk about today? So firstly... Uh, Lewis Hamilton has kind of spoken a bit on maybe some cracks in the relationship between him and Mercedes. He's also spoken about uh, Frederick Vasseur, which I thought was very interesting, so we'll get into that as well. Christian Horner has hit back on criticism of Red Bull owning two teams. I think he said some very interesting things there. Got some news on David Croft, some news on the Bahrain drains, and then as well we've got some stuff on F1 Academy, which is also very interesting. So, a lot of stuff to get through today, so what we should really just do is just get on with it, you know? So, let's start with Lewis Hamilton. Now, apparently, this has come out of uh, Drive to Survive, which... I'm about halfway through and haven't reached this episode yet. But after watching about eight hours of F1 testing yesterday, making the video for F1 testing yesterday, and watching about five hours of Drive to Survive, I wanted to go to bed. So I haven't reached the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes episode as of yet. So I'm just put my phone away before it starts buzzing all over the place. But apparently, um, basically... He talks about how in 2022, uh, he came out to Mercedes and said, look, this this isn't right, this car's all wrong. And that was the infamous one where they first changed to the Zero Pod design. Uh, this is what he's had to say about it. He said, I remember complaining to the team and being like, look, we have to make these changes, otherwise uh, this isn't the trajectory we're going to go on, and we're gonna end, and is, this is where we're going to end up. Please, please do something about it. I remember they said, like, we know what we're doing, you are wrong. And that was definitely an interesting moment. I was like, okay, I'll step back. Don't want to step on anyone else's toes. Then, when we got into the seasons, then we spoke again. And they said, oh, maybe you were actually right. So... You know, a lot of people pointed at the 2022 car and said, we don't think that's right. But Lewis Hamilton being one of them is an interesting thing. I'm sure he has said before that Mercedes didn't listen to him on the 2022 car, but he's never come out and fully said, they told me I was wrong. So, you know, I think this is probably one of the first cracks that led to the end of this Mercedes relationship. But, you know, another interesting thing to point out about this is this happened two years ago. And since then, he did sign a contract extension. A lot of people seem to forget that. But last year, he signed a two-year deal at Mercedes, or a one-plus-one deal. So, you know, if that was the issue that caused him to leave Mercedes, he wouldn't sign the extra year at Mercedes. So I think that there is still more to come out about what's happened here between Lewis and Mercedes. And I, I think this is going to slowly be drip-fed to us over the season 
We probably won't find out fully until next year, but I'm pretty sure that something has gone on here between Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes for him to make that move. And, you know, it's partially probably because the car's not good enough and he doesn't see that the results are going to be there, but I do think something else has gone on as well. Um, he also talks about Fred Vasseur, the current team principal of um, Ferrari. He went on... This is this wasn't Drive to Survive, by the way. This was with um, motorsport.com yesterday. He says, I've got a great relationship with Fred, uh, said Hamilton when asked by motorsport.com, if Vasseur was the only person who could have connected him to join Ferrari. Hamilton said, obviously I raced with him in F2 and we had amazing success in F3 and also in GP2. Well, GP2 is F2, but okay. That's really where the foundation of our relationship started. We've always remained in touch. I thought that he was going to be an amazing team manager at some point and progress to F1, but at the time he wasn't interested in that. It was really cool to see him step into the Alpha team. Then when he got the Ferrari job, I was just so happy for him. I just think the stars aligned, and I think it really wouldn't have happened without him. So I'm really grateful and really excited about the work that he's doing there. So that's all he had to say there, but in that small thing there, you get quite a lot. You know, Lewis is obviously very motivated and very positive about Fred and about Ferrari. You know, when we see him in interviews at the minute, he seems so down about the whole Mercedes situation. But, you know, speaking briefly about Ferrari there, it just seems like a totally different person. So, you know, I, like many others, are very excited to see Lewis in the Ferrari next year. And I think Fred Vasseur, I think he's fantastic. I really do. I've spoken about this before, but the work that he's done with Ferrari in just a year, you know, because as a team principal... There isn't really much you can do within a year because at the start of the year you're inheriting the car that was led by the previous team principal. So, you know, to have that for the year and he built upon it really well and he seems to have made quite a good uh, atmosphere and team around him in Ferrari. I think, you know, with Carlos Sainz, as much as, yeah, it sucks that he dropped him, he's also giving him a year to go, look, go find other places. It's not, the one I remember the most was, you know, Mick Schumacher in the Haas, where Haas told him, with like one or two races to go, that they wouldn't be renewing, renewing his contract. So basically, he's had all year, where he was like, oh, maybe I might stay at Haas. Oh no, now I can't. Science has got a whole year to kind of get himself out there and get a seat that he deserves. And I think uh, he'll definitely land on his feet because he's a fantastic driver. So Fred Vasseur is one of my favourite team principals right now. I think he's doing a fantastic job. And without him, it seems, uh, Lewis to Ferrari never would have happened. So very interesting there. Uh, another team principal, though, is Christian Horner. Now, uh, he's also one of my favourite team principals. But with the ongoing investigation at the minute, I don't know if I should say that publicly or not. And my opinion might very much change on the outcome of that investigation. But he has spoken, well, he's spoken a lot about the investigation because he gets asked about it every other question, and his answer is, I can't talk about that right now. But he was also asked about Red Bull owning two teams because this seems to be an issue all of a sudden, mainly because it seems like the racing bills might actually have some pace this year. When they were crap for the last two years... It wasn't an issue. The same way that Haas's relationship with Ferrari isn't an issue right now because they're rubbish. But a few years ago, when they were doing quite well, Haas's relationship with Ferrari was an issue. So Red Bull owning two teams is an issue all of a sudden. So he said this, speaking on the penultimate day of F1 testing about the team collaboration, 
Christian Horner had this to say, I don't understand the fuss about it, I don't understand the noise that's being created, and I think Red Bull should actually be applauded for the support and commitment and the jobs that they've provided uh, through the good times and particularly the bad times. So for me, really, it's a non-issue. Horner emphasised that the effort and commitment that Red Bull has made to F1 over the years uh, it has been involved, including through the financial crisis of 2008, was not something that should be overlooked. Red Bull remained resolute and they continued to support both teams through difficult times. The regulations have evolved, obviously, and the Fianza-based team has become their own manufacturer, and so further investment was made into the infrastructure in Fianza. When they had COVID, where Red Bull once again stepped up and stuck by both teams in its entirety, in fact, Red Bull were responsible for getting F1 going again after COVID, with two races at the Red Bull ring to get the sport going again after the pandemic. He also added, so the commitment that Red Bull has made to F1, the commitment Red Bull has made to the two teams is outstanding and should be applauded. We should be grateful for it rather than trying to compromise it. Um, so really, I have to agree with him on this. Because if you look into how these teams came to be, so you have uh, Dietrich Mateschitz, who was the head uh, of Red Bull, sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but he came in and wanted to buy the Jaguar team to become the Red Bull team. And uh, Minardi at the time was really, really struggling, was on the urge of like not existing anymore. And Bernie Eccleston, who was the head of F1 at the time, basically begged him to buy the two teams and have the two Red Bull teams, that would be Red Bull and Toro Rosso at the time. So he did it, and he bought the both teams, and he worked on them. Like, Minardi were awful. They were consistently the worst team every year. And within, what was it? Was it two years, three years? That team won a race. You had Sebastian Vettel in Italy, in the Toro Rosso, winning a race. There was no way Minardi would ever win a race. You know, it was, did they even score points? I'm going to have to look it up now. I'm going to, here we go, I'm looking up. Minardi stats here to tell you kind of how bad they were but yeah you know it's completely they the way that he turned both those teams around you know you had the Jaguar team which was previously the Stewart team you know they're one of the greatest teams of all time now in terms of statistics so Minardi here you go here are Minardi's stats 340 Grand Prix's 38 points there you go so here's their uh, championship finishing positions, 10th, 11th, 7th, 12th, 8th, 10th, 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 11th, 9th, 10th, 10th, 10th. So in 2005, they finished in 10th. That was their last year. Then you go over to uh, Toro Rosso, who um, from 2005 to 2008, they won a race. That is an insane turnaround, and that's thanks to the investment that Red Bull have put in. Also, he talks about the 2008 financial crash, which is massively important to talk about because that 2008 financial crash is what led the likes of Honda, BMW, those huge brands abandoned Formula One after the 2008 financial crash. But Red Bull stuck by it through those really difficult times, through those before Drive to Survive times when F1 wasn't this massively watched program, this massively watched sport, when, you know, they didn't have these huge investments coming in, Red Bull stuck by it. And now F1's in a good position where they're making lots of money. Now the talk is, oh, you can't have two teams. So I 
honestly, I can't express how much I disagree with this. You can't have this company bail you out on two teams when you're in a really bad position. Then as soon as it's going good, go, oh, I don't think this is right anymore. You know, I think we've spoken about this before. And I use the analogy, imagine if like a friend of yours is in a really bad place. And you go and you help them out and you spend time with them and you help them. And then as soon as they're in a good place again, they just abandon you and never speak to you ever again. That's what it feels like here. And, you know, you know, maybe I don't know. It's just I think the, this story is going to be going on and going on and going on, especially depending on how good the racing bills are, which I think they're going to be relatively quite good. So it's a big story this year. And, yeah, I think... I don't know if, if applauded is the right word, maybe that's too far or not, but I think that Red Bull should be thanked for what they've done to the sport, you know? Let's have a look. Whilst we're looking at um, stats here for different teams, let's have a look at Jaguar. So Jaguar uh, were what Red Bull bought. So Jaguar had uh, 85 Grand Prix, two podiums, 49 points. Let's have a look at uh, Stewart. Where's Stuart? I've lost it now. Um, oh dear. One second, everyone. I'm looking at the stats. Surtees. No, Stuart. So Stuart, 49 Grand Prix. They had one win. One win, of course, uh, for Johnny Herbert. But 47 points overall. Only three seasons for them. Then you got a Red Bull, who took over in 2005. In one, two, three, four, five. In six years, they won a championship. Five years they uh, won a race. You know, we look at it now. 369 Grand Prix, 113 wins, 95 pole positions, 264 uh, podiums, multiple world championships. I mean, come on now. They've done great work for F1. And yeah, they should be applauded. Why not? So, um, testing, of course, was this week. Red Bull, of course, looking good. But something that was missing from testing was the voice of David Croft. Now, usually in years gone by, they used to split the sessions. So in the morning, you used to have the F1 TV team. In the afternoon, it would be the Sky Sports team. But um, there was very little Sky Sports representation this uh uh, week on the uh, coverage. I think Ted Kravitz was there. Rachel Brooks turned up as well. Anthony Davidson. But, you know, the, some of the big hitters weren't there. You didn't have your Martin Brundle. You didn't have your David Croft. But the reason David Croft wasn't there may have been uh, revealed because he's doing a few less races this year. He's come out and said he will miss three races this season. So not many races, just the three. But it is the first ever time that he'll miss a race in his 16 years of being a commentator. He'll be replaced by Harry Benjamin when he's not doing the races, who works for BBC Five Live at the minute, as well as doing he did coverage for the F1 Juniors show uh, when that was on. Um, so speaking to the Independent, Crofty had this to say. Uh, he says, it's more about keeping fresh for the whole season. I'm not getting any younger. I've given up and sacrificed a lot for my career. I want to give a bit back. I want to give back a bit of time to the family and not be on the other side of the world. I'm getting married this year as well, so I've got a wedding to organise. But I also want to sit and watch races at home. I want to enjoy it. Maybe I can learn something by not commentating on a race. I can spot a few things when I'm watching. I want to see what the viewer sees. So I know it's, it's, it's understandable. We have the longest F1 season ever coming up as, well as uh, long as all the races go ahead. 
And no, it's a lot of time to be flying all over the place. I know it probably seems very glamorous and very exciting, and I'd love to do it. I'll do it if if anyone's watching. But you know, for Crofty, who has been doing it for sixteen years, it takes a toll. And like you said, you know, you must be away from your family an awful lot to do it. So, you know, it's only three races out of twenty-four this year. So I don't think it's a big deal to be honest with you. And I'm sure Harry Benjamin will do a good job. I think I've listened to his commentary before. Uh, I used to have a job where um, I'd have to work on Sundays occasionally, so I'd have to listen to the races on Five Live. So I think I've heard Harry Benjamin, and he he does a pretty good job there. So I think this is fine. And, you know, God bless Crofty. I think he's wonderful at what he does. So, another big story coming out of the Bahrain testing was drains. Now, of course, we've had a few run-ins with drains over the last year. Of course, there was the Las Vegas drain. And then on day two and day three of testing, another drain popped up. So... This caused this caused like huge disruptions across testing, over an hour delay on both days to fix these drains. So the Bahrain circuits have thought of a solution to this to make sure it doesn't happen again during the race uh, next week. And that solution is they're filling all the drains with concrete. So you know that will probably work, and hopefully you know, it won't rain, which, you know, in Bahrain, it shouldn't rain, but a couple of weeks ago, in F2 test, it did, it poured down, so, as long as we have no rain, everything will be fine, so there you go, looking across now, to F1 Academy, because we have nearly filled up all the seats in F1 Academy, there is still one uh, seat available in Campos, but we have two more seats filled here, and the very exciting wild card has been revealed for Saudi Arabia. So I'll get into all that right now. So firstly, Jessica Edgar rejoins the grid in uh, Rodian Motorsport. Uh, now, a lot of these drivers have got, like, you know, either sponsored by teams, as we saw last week, are uh, sponsored by brands. So Charlotte Tilsbury was one that we talked about last week, and there's another one we'll talk about in a bit. Jessica Edgar, though, I feel very sorry for her because... The brand that's sponsoring her is F1 Academy, which, you know, is a bit... But everyone else has got these big names. To be sponsored by F1 Academy feels like a bit of a letdown. But also, you know, if she has a dodgy decision going towards her, then the fingers will be pointed at the F1 Academy. So she'll be running a F1 Academy livery for Rodin Motorsport. Uh, her history uh, is she was in uh, GB4. She got uh, one podium... She was in F1 Academy last year, one win, one pole, four podiums, eighth in the championship overall. She's also the cousin of Johnny Edgar, who has been in F3 for the last few years. I don't think he's in F3 this year, but, you know, uh, we are aware of him. And, you know, hopefully Jessica's a little bit better than him, I hope. I think she, she can do it. So looking forward to seeing her on the grid in Saudi. Also, we are uh, going to be welcoming... Oh dear, this is a foreign name. I'm going to suck at this. Aurelia Nobles. She has joined F1 Academy as part of the ART team, uh, but her sponsorship is with Puma, which is a great sponsor. They used to do the clothing for Red Bull. They're somewhere else now, but I can't remember which team they're at. But the, when they were the Red Bull clothing sponsor, the clothes were great. So... She'll be driving the Puma liveried car. She's also joined the Ferrari uh, Academy. Maybe Ferrari have Puma. Let's say they do. 
though anyway, the way she's joined the Ferrari Academy is actually incredibly interesting. She won the Girls on Track Rising Star program, which was put on by the FIA Women in Motorsports Commission. By winning that, she got her place on the Ferrari Academy and her place in F1 Academy as well. So, you know, that is a very interesting way. Some good stuff there for her. She's previously uh, competed in Brazilian, Danish, Spanish and Italian Formula 4, although hasn't seen too much success in any of those uh, series. And, you know, it's quite interesting to talk about because... Um, a lot of these drivers on the F1 Academy have driven in different sections of Formula 4, and a lot of them haven't seen success. In terms of, you look at their stats, and a lot of them scored no points. And it just really makes you think, right? Is the reason they haven't seen success because they're not very good? Or is it like an inherent like sexism thing of these women coming into a Formula 4 team and maybe because they are women, they're not being looked at for the higher teams, or maybe, you know, they have to go to these lower teams and the setups aren't quite right. You know, we see it in F2, F3 all the time. The likes of your Prima ART, they will have a better setup than your likes of your PHM. So is that the reason that maybe women aren't being looked at in those top seats for the Formula 4 series, and that's why they're not doing particularly well? And maybe the F1 Academy stuff will sort that out. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how they can do in F1 Academy. Which, you know, will still have that. Because you still have the likes of your Prima and your ART. Who will probably understand that F1 Academy car better than some other teams. And they will probably be better. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they can compete. Maybe on a more equal uh, playing ground here. In terms of, you know, just... No, there should be no sexism in F1 Academy. But let's talk about the wild card, because this, I love this idea. So Prima are running three cars, but at some races they'll run four. Because as the Constructors' Champions, they have to run the wild card car, which is just a local driver who can compete in a one-off race, score points in the championship, and then just go away. So the first one has been announced as uh, Saudi-born racer Rima uh, Jafali. Now, I hadn't heard of her, and I probably have pronounced her name wrong, but I've been doing some re research on her this morning, and she is fascinating, right? So she's confirmed as the wildcard entry for the first round of F1 Academy in uh, Jeddah. She is Saudi Arabia's first ever woman racing driver, which doesn't shock me, because I don't... When did it... I'm going to... This is... This is news on the fly, everyone, but I'm pretty sure Saudi Arabia didn't allow women to drive any cars until recently. So, uh, when did Saudi women... Uh, licenses were issued to women starting the 24th of June 2018. So, you know, that was a, a while ago, but not too far ago. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that she's Saudi Arabia's first ever women's racing driver win women couldn't really drive anything until recently but anyway she um she's competing in british formula 4 as well as G different gt series she won four races in the international gt open pan am um where she finished second in the championship and she's also which i didn't know this was a thing either but she has featured on the BBC's 100 Women, a yearly list of 100 inspiring and influential women from around the world, which has also featured Michelle Obama and Billie Eilish in the past. 
So there you go. Very interesting. Very much looking forward to seeing her compete in the opening race. And you know, with her being a wild card as well, you know, she could turn up. She's in a prima, so she should be all right. She could turn up, win the first race, be leading the championship, and then we never see her again for the rest of the season, which is just such an interesting thing. I want a wildcard driver to turn up one day and just dominate the field and then just leave. I mean, that would be fascinating. So there you go. That is all the news from the last week. It's been a very fun one here on the channel. As I said, check out the uh, testing roundup videos. There'll be a the predictions video will be out tomorrow morning. Uh, until then, though, you know we'll have the coverage of the Bahrain Grand Prix next weekend, and also F2 and F3 are on there, so we'll be covering that as well. There's so much stuff going on, everyone. It's a very exciting time. So I will speak to you all then. Until then, though, have a good one. See you around. See you around. I don't say that. I say see you then. Bloody hell! I'm gonna go have a nap. Goodbye.